Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. It's always exciting when we hear of leading athletes becoming inducted in their particular Hall of Fame or when business leaders are recognized for their many contributions to society, or our kids win a trophy. I mean, it's really special, because these goals and achievements, they're admirable. But there is a spiritual hall of faith that is more desirable to obtain, as it holds eternal rewards and accolades from God, rather than from men. Notice that I said a hall of faith instead of a hall of fame, because that's what we see in Hebrews 11 the faith chapter of scripture. In this passage, God defines faith for us first, and then he gives us many examples of Old Testament saints who've lived out their faith, who've demonstrated the kind of faith that our faith in Jesus Christ should have in the way we live out our lives. All of this is so we can learn how to live by faith and have the hope that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. I'm Debbie Blank. Today, we're going to look at what true faith is, how God wants us to live by that faith, and then ask ourselves, are we living that way? And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. The need for each of us to live out our faith in difficult times reminds me of a book published in 2003 called Faith for Earth's Final Hour. Christian author Hal Lindsey stated back then that, quote, we live in one of the most dangerous and anxiety-driven periods in human history and the perilous, tumultuous events to come upon the world just before Christ's return are here and growing more severe daily. And he was so right. Back then, he felt called to update his older book called Combat Faith after the events of 9-11. Now, two decades later, even more dangers and anxieties exist, and the activating of our faith is needed more than ever. It also makes me think of Queen Esther. When her people were facing extinction, she was persuaded to see that she was born for such a time as this, and her faith turned into action. It's true for us as well, who live in what might now be called the last minutes of Earth's final hour. Today, we'll re-examine what faith truly is and visit the Bible's Hall of Faith, believers who lived out their faith in extraordinary ways so that we too can stand firm for such a time as this. When our kids were little, I tried to teach them to say no to drugs, to say no to sex, to say no to the things that go against God's word. Fortunately, my kids followed that direction. But the point is, in training them, I said, determine now what you believe. So when you're tempted, you'll stand firm on what you believe. Because when you're hit up in schools for drugs here or there, you might be tempted to do it unless you've made a determination not to. And the same thing goes with sex. Boy, the temptations of the moment can grab a hold of you. That's why we need to exercise our faith now before the temptations come in, before the world sucks us into its lures and its sin and its evil that's out there. We need to exercise our muscle of faith because just like any other muscles, if we don't exercise them and have them ready, we're not going to have the strength to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And that's where faith comes in. Faith is not a one-time thing. It's a perpetual life-giving force for us with our faith in Jesus Christ as to how we live and what's going to happen when we die. 
So we begin in Hebrews chapter 11 in this faith chapter with a definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what's an assurance? An assurance is a substance. It's a foundation of things that we hope for. Hoping for something is a confident expectation of receiving what we're looking forward to. Faith is our assurance. It's our foundation that what God says in his word, what we hope for will come about. And then it continues on to say the conviction of things not seen. The conviction is evidence. I mean, we don't see God. We don't see Jesus Christ, but we have Jesus through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He is the one who teaches us and guides us and convicts us of things that we might be thinking of doing wrong. He's also the one that teaches us about God and who God is. So the conviction of things not seen, it's right. We haven't seen God, but the Bible is full of evidence that God is real and that God fulfills his promises. He does what he says he's going to do, that he never leaves us or forsakes us, and he never makes mistakes. He doesn't do anything wrong. So I can stand on the convictions of God that I haven't seen based on my faith that God has given me and that I have used to believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm reading a different translation. I love how it says in yours, faith is the conviction. It's so true. We're convicted. We know. We're sure. Mine is a little less strong in some respects, but it gave me a little bit of a different outlook on it as well, an additional outlook. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. In this world, we're taught to have self-confidence. It's very important to be self-confident. But you know, we know ourselves, and when we know ourselves pretty well, um, sometimes it's hard to be very self-confident. But when we know God and we have confidence in Him, then that makes all the difference. So right now, we're talking about something called faith that God has given to us. We each have a measure of faith. And what we can do, like you referred to the muscle, we can exercise that faith. So we may feel like we have a little tiny bit of faith, but that's all we need because God is the one who is going to help us exercise that faith, just being conscious of using it in the situations that we need to use it in. Faith is unique because here it's a noun, but it's also used as a verb. It's the same basic word in the Greek, which is pistis for the noun or pisteo as the verb. It's important to know what that means because when we think of faith, we think of this mental ascent that we have towards something. But faith is actually different than that. It's a three-pronged stool. And that includes three different aspects of faith in our lives. The first is conviction. The second is surrender. And the third is conduct. So what that means is my first aspect of faith is a conviction of what it is I believe in. And since we're talking about God and the word, we believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. By the way, generally speaking, the word believe and faith in the New Testament are that same Greek word, pistis. So they mean the same thing to have faith in Jesus Christ. So that faith is a conviction. And that is, I believe that Jesus is God, that he died for my sins so that I could enter heaven and he rose from the dead so that I could have eternity with him. I believe that. Now, the difference here is that I believe that all my growing up years, I was taught that in school and I believe that firmly, that conviction was in my head, but I needed to move it from my head to my heart. So that's where the surrender comes in. 
the surrender part of faith is when you take what you believe and you commit to it. And in this case, it was, well, if I really believe that you're God and that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead, I need to follow you as my Lord. And I'm not. I'm really living my life for myself like most people are. But I need you as my Lord. I need to believe that you are my Lord. You are my Savior. You're the one who opens the gates of heaven for me so I can enter in. You're the one who guides me through this life. And you know what's right and wrong. Therefore, you want me to be your disciple, to follow you. That's a surrender where we follow Jesus in all that we do. And in order to follow him, you have to know him. And the knowing him comes from the word of God. And the following him comes from the knowing to be obedient to the word of God. So you first have a mental conviction of who Jesus is. That's faith. And then your faith progresses as you move into this spiritual relationship, this heartfelt relationship, which then causes you to put Jesus in charge of you. He becomes the God of your life instead of you. And then the third aspect of faith is living out your faith day by day, your conduct, because God says that our faith isn't just a one time. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's a living out my faith day by day for Jesus, growing closer to him. And that's the conduct. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast. And then once we have that faith that has gone from our head to our hearts, then Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works are a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there's lots of good people on this earth who do good works because they were taught that way as a kid or because they do them to make other people happy or because it makes them happy or who knows what their rationale is. But you and I are to do the good works that honor God. Those are the things that he wants us to do that are an automatic outgrowth of our salvation. When I took Jesus from knowing who he was in my head and surrendering my life to him, I didn't get up the next day and say, okay, now I got to change this and this and this and this and this and this. this." No, I just put him as Lord of my life. And gradually over the years, he has shown me what needed to be changed in my heart, what sins I needed to get rid of, attitudes that needed changing and things I could do to honor him, obey him and serve him. He did that. I didn't have to set out a list to do it. My conduct changed when I made him Lord of my life. So understand this three-pronged stool of faith isn't just knowing who Jesus is in your head. It's surrendering to him, and then it's living out your life for him. And I think what you're saying is that the power of our faith comes from the object of our faith, and the object of our faith is God. We don't have to depend on our own power The power comes from the Holy Spirit living in us. And that sanctification process is what you're describing. He does it. He he cleans us up. He does the work in us. He just kind of compels that along. And we're just there to make sure that we're open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Our faith is also three parts. It's past, present, and future. The past is our justification, when we've been justified for our sins by Jesus Christ and his blood. 
our sanctification is our living out the faith day by day. And then we have our future glorification of our faith, which is eternity with Jesus in heaven. So there's three prongs to faith and there's three timelines of faith. Then verse two tells us the benefits of faith. It says, for by it, meaning faith, the men of old gained approval. That's the benefit. We gain approval from God when we live out our lives in faith. We talked last week that the benefits of walking with God and living with God is success. Success in this world by God's standards. And then, of course, eternal success with him in heaven. We gain approval by walking in faith, not by walking in the world. We don't gain our hope by having our eyes on America's dream of getting everything we want in this world and having all the liberties and freedoms and successes. We gain our approval. We gain our hope from having a relationship with Jesus Christ, having faith with Jesus Christ. And then finally, verse three here tells us that we can trust in the things not seen because it says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now consider that. What have we taken out of our world? We've started believing in evolution instead of God as the creator. It shows how ludicrous that is because throughout scripture, God talks about him being the creator of the heavens and the earth. And here it talks about him making the world, ex nihilo is what it's called, out of nothing. Not just out of a substance that was already there, but there was nothing there. And God created the world. So that what we see now, it wasn't seen, it wasn't visible then. But by faith, God created the world. By faith, we know he created the world and everything in it and everything that's going to happen. And doesn't that follow along with science that says that things are made out of atoms and everything that appears to be solid really isn't solid and it's all made up of things that are unseen. And here the Bible just says it simply and eloquently. That's right. So now we're going to see the demonstration of faith. God gives us numerous examples here that are so exciting because the author shares the qualities of these men of faith so that we can learn from them and a woman of faith too. Let's start in Hebrews eleven four with Abel. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he was dead, he still speaks. Well, we probably all know the story of Cain and Abel because that was the first actual murder ever mentioned in scripture in Genesis chapter four. What we know about them is that Cain was a keeper of the land and Abel was a keeper of the flocks. There came a time when they both came to make a sacrifice to God. Cain brought, obviously, grain, which is what he was raising. And Abel brought a sacrifice of an animal, which is a shed blood of an animal, which God shows us later in Scripture the importance of a sacrifice, with the ultimate sacrifice being Jesus Christ. But getting back to them, I don't think the problem is the sacrifice. I think the problem is the heart, because that's what God cares about. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. So it tells us in Genesis 4 that Cain became angry and his countenance fell when his brother gave a better sacrifice. And the Lord said to him, Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must muster it. That's Genesis 4, 4 through 7. Cain's problem was he was angry. He had a bad attitude. 
That's why he killed his brother Cain. Here we see that God considered Abel righteous because he did the right thing. He not only accepted his offering, but he saw him as righteousness. And even though he's dead, he still speaks because his righteousness is what is speaking. Whereas Cain is pretty well forgotten. His attitude was not right. His countenance fell. We have to make sure that our countenance doesn't fall because when it does, we sin and it takes us away from God. And what we note here in the passage from Genesis that you quoted is that Cain and Abel both had the opportunity to do the right thing. It was not impossible for one of them to do the right thing and the other just not to be able to. That opportunity was there for both of them, and Cain decided not to do what God wanted him to do. He wanted to worship God his own way. He was going his own way. So that's one of the first examples of not worshiping God the way he requires us to worship him. So whatever the details were that we don't know, we can see the results of that. And there's a lot we don't know about Enoch. He's the next one mentioned here in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Now, back in Genesis 5, it tells us in verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. I mean, that's pretty much about all we know about him is that he walked with God. So this is a man who loved God to the point that everything he did was pleasing to him, according to Hebrews, and he lived his daily life walking with him. But we don't know anything else except that God took him up. He was the first person in scripture to be raptured in that God took him up alive into heaven. We know later in scripture, he did the same thing with Elijah when he was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. We have two godly men who God chose to allow not to die. That's what's going to happen to the church in the near future. And that is those of us who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior will be raptured out of this earth without experiencing physical death because God will take us out before the wrath of God is poured out in this world. Do you walk with God like Enoch did? Is everything that you do pleasing to God like Enoch was? Are you righteous like Abel was? If you want to be in the hall of faith, these are qualities he wants us to have. And I just think of the closeness of the relationship between Enoch and God, that they walked together so closely that when it was time, Enoch just walked into heaven with God. I love that picture. In verse 6, this is an important verse that we really need to memorize because it tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. It means there's nothing in this earth that you can do to please God if you don't have faith. And remember, it's a three-pronged faith. Going back to that verse, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that's faith and believe, the word pistis twice in the same verse there, must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now that's the second place we've seen that God rewards those who have faith. We're rewarded with eternal life, but we're also rewarded with a life on this earth that gives us faith, hope, love, all the gifts of the spirit that we have in Jesus Christ that he gives us that the world cannot give us. The world can give us temporary satisfaction, but we also have a lot of disappointments. There are no disappointments in God when we get to know him. Absolutely none. Verse seven talks about Noah. And did you notice that all of these are starting out by saying, by faith. 
because that's the purpose of this, to know that these men could do this only by the faith that they had in God. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen. Remember what faith is? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Well, Noah didn't see any rain ever. So he had a conviction, though, because he was warned by God about that going to happen. And it says, in reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world. And he became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Here's a man who'd never seen rain, had no idea what he was building this humongous boat for, except that God warned him and he believed God. He had faith in God. In Genesis 8, it says that Noah was righteous and blameless. Here he's called reverent and righteous in what he does because he believed God. Well, moving on to Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You got to consider that Abraham lived in Ur the Chaldees, which was the New York City of that time with numerous gods. Yet God spoke to him. He believed God and he left there, walked for miles and days and weeks in order to get to Cana. God showed him the land that he had promised him. That takes a lot of faith to do that with a God that he wasn't very familiar with because God had not made himself known to a lot of people in Ur of the Chaldees as far as we could understand. He was such an example of faith because in verse 9 of Hebrews 11, it tells us, by faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God couple of important things there because not only was Abraham obeying God, but he believed his promises. And because he believed in God, he knew that he was seeing the land that his descendants would dwell in, but that wasn't his city. His city was his future city with God. The one that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God, which is eternal heaven. Another great Old Testament figure in the hall of faith is Moses. And so we can start with verse 23, um, talking about Moses. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So it starts out with the faith of his parents and then continues on with his own faith. That is so important because his parents saw something in him that God told them to see or showed them to see that said he was special and they had to take care of him because you'll remember the king wanted all the male children killed because the Israelites were propagating too quickly. But the parents hid him. They saved him because God said to. And God miraculously protected Moses. So verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. To me, those two verses are two of the most important verses we can listen to in this day and age, because he had it all. He was a son of Pharaoh, basically, because he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he had the palace. He had the luxury. He had the opulence. He had everything going for him. And he gave that up to follow God. It says he chose rather the ill treatment of his people 
than the passing pleasures of sin. Are we willing to follow the ill treatment of being Christians in an evil world rather than seeking the pleasures of sin? Our world is so tempting and it's so desirous to go towards power and money and luxury and influence and fame. Moses went away from it. That's what God wants us to do. As we talked about, Abraham was looking not to the land that God was giving him, but to his future home in heaven. The point being is that their focuses are not on this world. The focus of these saints is on God, his kingdom, his righteousness. It's on having faith in him and living for him. That's the key to faith, taking our eyes off the world and the things of the world and putting them on God. It's about God because he's the one who's trustworthy. We look at the flaws that we have, the flaws at each of these people, because they were real people who really lived. And so they had their ups and downs in their behaviors. But what remained constant was their belief in God. They believed him. They trusted him. And that's what made the difference. And we can look in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. If you read that story in Joshua chapter 6, it is not a good military decision to do what they did. But God had them do it for a purpose. It took a lot of faith for the Israelites to do it. Oh, there's so many people in this that are worth looking at. As you move over to verse 32, it talks about other saints. It says, what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Brock, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. And then he talks about all kinds of other scenarios that happen to people of faith. And I read that and I thought, there's a lot of godly men there. And then I thought of Samson. Samson was a um, womanizer. Why did God put him there? And then Jephthah. Jephthah did a lot of good things, but he also made a really rash vow by saying, whoever comes out of the door of my house first, when I come back from this victory, I will sacrifice them to the Lord. And it was his daughter who came out. So I look at those two guys. Of course, David's in here, who's a man after God's own heart, who also committed adultery and murder. These guys were sinners. You know what that gives me? Gives me hope. Maybe my sins are just as bad in God's eyes that I have committed as theirs are. And yet he looked past their sin because they believed in the Messiah to come to look at what they were doing for the kingdom of God by faith and how they were living for God by their faith. Now let's finish up in Hebrews eleven thirty nine and 40. We're told all these, all these saints of old that we've mentioned some and there's more in here have gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Did you notice they didn't gain their approval from following the law or being circumcised as a covenant? They didn't follow it by doing good works. They gained approval through faith. And what was the faith for? Looking forward to the promise of the Messiah. Because God in verse 40 had provided something better for us. And that is that we got to see the Messiah in scripture and in history So that apart from us, they should not be made perfect because what perfects us in our faith is Jesus Christ. They were looking forward to the Messiah and that faith in the coming Messiah and the eternity with him is what saved them and what gave them faith to do what they did for God. The way we gain faith is looking back at our Messiah, who he is, what he did, surrendering our lives to him and living for him. That's how we gain approval from God. 
I want God to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be a faithful follower of his. And it's not just in my mind of knowing who Jesus is. It's a conviction in my mind, but that surrender in my heart to give my life to Jesus and make him Lord of my life and then follow him all the days of my life. If we will do that, we are guaranteed to be men and women of faith. We are guaranteed to have eternity with God in heaven. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.